0: Yes, we are back on TR Talk. This is Ryan Warner. I'm here in the studio with my co-host, Tom Malamo. And folks, do we have an episode for you today? Today's guest is Cy Wakeman. She's been featured on the Today Show. She's been a guest on Gary Vaynerchuk's Daily V. And here are a few other mind-blowing stats about our good friend, Cy. One, she's a Midwesterner. You folks know I am, and we love her for that. She's given over 200 keynotes, which puts her in the top 3% of keynote speakers in the world. She's a New York Times bestseller. She just came out with a new book in September called No Ego. She owns her own firm. It's called Reality Based Leadership, where she's trained a few firms. Maybe you've heard of them. Cisco, Procter & Gamble, Merrill Lynch, Wells Fargo. And also, she owns her own podcast as well. It's called No Ego. So this one is a real, real treat. Tom and I we're so jazzed afterwards, we, we can't even describe it to you. you know. In this podcast, we go deep into the ego. How can we keep it in check? How do we understand when this negative lens impacting our world is starting to bubble up? We also go into accountability, right? And this is ruthless self-accountability that leads to emotional freedom. And we also dive into how can women leaders make an impact in their roles. So, Want to give a quick shout out to our fan of the week, Julia Jules De Palma. She's an account executive at Tech Target. Also, is on her way to being a master yogi. Julia, thank you for the questions. We appreciate the love and support. Keep being you, girl. As always, this is Ryan Warner and Tom Malamo coming to you live from the TR Talk Studio in San Francisco. Thank you so much for the love and support. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a comment, subscribe on iTunes, or reshare. And if not, we still love you. You know, don't feel like you need to do anything because this is a family, right? We're going out, finding these interesting leaders to talk to, we're interviewing them and then bringing the goods to you, folks. So thank you for all that you do. Tom and I can't tell you how much we appreciate the love and support. Now at this point, let's minimize the screens. Let's turn the volume up. Let's plug those headphones in and enjoy. This interview with Cy Wakeman. Thanks again, folks. Peace. And we're live from the TR Talk studio in San Francisco. This is Ryan Warner along with my co-host, Tom Alamo. Good morning to the interwebs. Folks, today we're here with a special guest. We have Cy Wakeman. Welcome to the show, Cy.
1: Thank you. Good to be with you, Tom and Ryan. We
0: could not be more excited. Now, I know you just released a book in September 2017, No Ego. Tom and I have a ton of notes, but before we dive into it, I'd love to dive into your thoughts on what it means to be a drama researcher.
1: Sure. It's a career I never planned and I don't think anybody's ever heard of, but I look at how much uh, energy, time, money, what resources are wasted in the workplace due to drama. And we call drama emotional waste. And it's been surprising. I have found that the average person spends two and a half hours of their day in drama walking around going this is sick and wrong this should not be happening gossiping tattling scorekeeping resisting change focused on you know who's not uh, thinking correctly and who's not doing things correctly and it's just an amazing time waste because it's 816 hours a year it's millions of dollars but for me the most important thing is it just really hurts the work environment no one likes to work in drama and most people think everybody else is the source of drama, but the reality is it's our own thinking and their own mental processes we use that is creating the drama. Wow.
2: That's, that's crazy. And you said 816 hours yes, in someone's year. Per
1: yes, wow. in your year. And, and this is not just the high drama folks when we think of the drama king or queen. This is the average human being because drama is emotional waste And the way you get rid of waste in the workplace is using a good process, and the way you get rid of drama is using a good mental process. And most people don't realize that they don't use very good mental processes at work or home.
0: Now, Sai, when you talk about mental processes, are you talking about the ego and being cognizant of that? Or how does the ego play into your research and your philosophy?
1: Yes, thirty percent of that eight hundred and sixteen hours a year we have found out is sourced from the ego, from ego behaviors. So, when we found out it was eighteen hundred or eight hundred and sixteen hours a year, I looked at then the sources of drama, and withholding buy-in and resisting change and not aligning to the organization, and you know, some of those pieces were big, but the two biggest ones were ego behaviors and lack of accountability behaviors. And those are definitely where we use poor mental processes, because the the ego would have you believe that the reason you can't succeed is your circumstances. And a good mental process knows that your circumstances aren't the reasons you can't succeed. They're just the reality in which you must succeed. And so a lot of folks don't understand their ego and how often it's out to play and how incorrect the data it gives you really is.
0: And and now before we go into how can we notice the ego perking up, let's just pause for a second for the TR Talk podcast listeners. How do you define the ego? Because I, I really want to get into that.
1: Sure. We're not talking about, you know, the egomaniac that we meet you know, there's one on every job site, it seems. We're also not talking about confidence. The ego has some really good roles to play, like our confidence, our self-esteem. Confidence is when i 'm confident in my skills and ability to make a difference. Ego is when I think i 'm the only one that can make a difference. Confidence is when I come and offer my work willingly to be part of a solution. Ego is when I believe I know the solution or you know um everybody else is interfering with the solution. So the way I describe ego it 's the filter that that we have, the filter through which we see the world, if we're unaware, if we're, um, you know, asleep. And it's this, it's like wearing a pair of prescription glasses, that's the wrong prescription, it really corrupts your world. So it narrates your life. When you see somebody walk by that doesn't happen to say hello, instead of just noticing the reality that that person was in your presence and potentially didn't greet you in the way you wanted, That's the reality. The ego goes on to say, you know, they're rude. Ever since they got that promotion, they think they're a bag of chips and, you know, they think they're all that and a bag of chips. And the ego has this constant story. And once we believe that story, because the story is usually negative, it usually paints us as a victim or us as a savior. Once we buy in and believe that story, it's very corrupted data. It affects our behavior. So if you walk by me, I think you're rude. My ego made up that story. I treat you rudely. You respond rudely. Then I go, see, I'm right about what I made up. And so the ego is this filter that doesn't belong in our workplace. So a good mental process that we're talking about is if you walk by me and don't say hello, I know the work of the ego. I know a good mental process is stop believing everything I think, that I am not the one thinking, I'm the one being thought. And I have a choice whether I believe that. So when I think the thought, Ryan, you're rude. You got a promotion now. You don't talk to the little people. I question that thought. I go, can I possibly know that that's true? That's a good mental process. And when I question that thought, all I know is you walked by me and didn't say hello. I can just conserve the energy and you know, move on and not make anything of it. But most of us can't do that. So I suggest another mental process. It's called, if you're a professional, give people the benefit of the doubt. It's the best way to overcome your ego. So if you walk by me, don't say hello. I just know I need to make up a story. My ego wants to make up a negative one. I counteract that by just assuming you're deep in prayer in meditation for peace in the world. I treat you well, you treat me well. It's retraining my ego by giving people the benefit of the doubt. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, it does and I think it it falls under a category of that it's it's simple but not easy, right? Like it, exactly. it what you say makes sense but in practice it's tough, right? Like so for an example, you know I'm I'm a competitive guy, right? And if I see that Tony or Cindy in the office gets a promotion or they get put on that new account or they get a shout out from the CEO or whatever it may be, you know it'd be nice to think uh to take all that, you know, into perspective, but you know in most situations I'll be like, "Well, why why is tony getting the recognition why am i not or you know what did tony do maybe he's a kiss ass to the ceo or all these thoughts go in your head and so like for someone that's trying to take these principles that you're saying how do you catch yourself in that situation and say all right my ego's getting in the way let's let's take a step back and and think about this in a different perspective
1: there's two ways to catch yourself when you feel like crap because your ego really leads you into feeling you know justified and venting but when you feel you start to feel stressed that reality is a pretty groovy place. Anytime you're feeling stress it's probably your ego that is telling you it isn't perfect. And anytime you find yourself venting about somebody, I guarantee you it's ego because your feelings take about one sentence to share. I feel frustrated that Tony got a promotion. It's your ego that goes on to vent. He's a kiss-ass, he does this, blah, blah, blah. And that's where accountability and self-reflection comes in. The best way to get out of your ego is actually to self-reflect. Venting is the ego's way of avoiding self-reflection. So whenever you're venting, I guarantee you, you're not in accountability. So if somebody got a promotion, in fact, I'll give you a real situation. Somebody, I think I wrote about this maybe in my second book, Reality-Based Rules of the Workplace. But somebody came to me and they said, "Sai, it's not fair. I'll just call her Susan. Susan got this promotion. And I, it should have been me. And I said, oh, my gosh, we made a mistake in who we promoted. Tell me more. And they said, well, she only got that promotion because she's a suck up to the boss. And she um, she went and got a master's degree on her own dime. And she will take any project, no matter how ridiculous it is, and work on it. And they gave me a whole list of things that Susan did to get this promotion. And I said, you know, let's self-reflect here. Did you want a promotion? Yes. I go, then maybe do what Susan did. Well, I'm not gonna go get a master's degree and take any project as it comes. And I said, well, then maybe you won't be getting a promotion. Like if you want what she has, do what she did. But our ego wants the easier way. Our ego tells us, well, it's not right that she was willing to do every project I want to select my projects and get promoted. And the Eagles math is really bad math, really bad math. Yeah.
2: And so how do you, I think that's really powerful. And so how about a scenario where, um, you know, say that you're a, 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 you know, you're not a manager, you're just a contributor on a team and say there's there's 10 people on the team and four of them hate their boss and every day they say, oh, I can't believe, uh, you know, the boss is so mean the boss you know doesn't know what they're doing and they try to kind of loop you into that conversation say hey don't you hate how our boss does this and our boss does that and you know you like the boss but you also like your coworkers, and you want to be cool with everyone so how do you not get into playing those games and and i assume that's a big part of the 2.5 hours a day that we're spending how do you just separate yourself
1: so one of the things I recommend, this is a question so many um, people ask because they they want to do the right thing, but it becomes hard in your day to day. And so I tell them the first thing to do is just make a pretty profoundly positive statement when people start dishing on somebody like the boss and have the courage to just say, you know what? I'm doing great right now with our boss. I think that um, he or she has you know, some really cool things that they're, they're helping us work on. You just make a positive statement and that neutralizes a lot of drama. And then you go into something like, um, you know, I'm just wondering if they aren't being very clear on this project, what could we do to help to get clarity? And this is really important to stop judging and start helping. And you don't do that by telling people to stop being negative. That will ignite their ego and tick them off. You don't do it by, you know, um, trying to you know, make statements on how they're wrong. You do it by bypassing their ego with the question, what can we do to help? And I actually have a funny story where this just happened in my life. And I tell this, um, I've told this quite a bit this year from stage So I have a wonderful sister and she really is kind and loving, but she tends to get in other people's business. And in our family, we've got seven kids and um, I have six siblings. And so she'll call me up out of love and concern and she'll say, oh, my gosh, have you heard about our brother, Michael? He's uh, buying a house he can't afford and he's going to be destitute in retirement. And she really wants to get me involved in like Michael's life. And I just don't want to go there. And so I've really practiced this where when she brings up one of our siblings, I'll say, oh my gosh, Michael, I love that guy. He's buying a house he can't afford. What can we do to help? I've got extra money. I'll send him some. Um, He can live with me in retirement. All my kids will be gone. I have a great big, you know, empty house then. And I just start problem solving whatever it is they're upset with. And she did what many people do. She's like, well, I'm not going to get involved in that hot mess. And and I said, great, what do you wanna do for you know the holidays? It's like, I just make it a point for me and my sanity that in my energy, if we're talking and you're upset about something, then we're gonna move into solving and figuring out what we could do, not what they need to do, but what we could do, or we're moving on to the next topic. And what that does is people really take your cue. At the minimum, they don't talk about stuff around you. At the maximum, they start reflecting, even if not the, for the first time, they start reflecting if every time they meet you and you're asking, gosh, what can we do to help? That mental process is perfect. It's a good mental process to stop judging, start helping. When if you worked for me on the back of your badge, it would say the words, how can I help? And whenever you came to me to tattle on somebody, I would say, what have you done to help? And, you know, Karen and IT can't manage your way of a paper bag. I'd be like, oh, my gosh. Sounds like Karen's team had a tough week. What did you do to help? And you might say, I don't know. I'd say, let's go find Karen. I'd say, Karen, Tammy is in my office sharing her love and concern for you. She has a question for you. Go ahead, Tammy. And Tammy would say, Karen, what can I do to help? And then Karen would have great ideas when we had business requirement meetings and you told your team it wasn't mandatory. That that wasn't that helpful. And and that's how we can get people in touch with their reality Ego distorts reality. It believes that it's everybody else's fault, takes us out of accountability. Self-reflection shows that there's always something I can do in my reality to impact the success, even with bosses that aren't perfect, colleagues that aren't perfect, and me that's not perfect.
0: Well, I love the tie-in between the two. And by the two, I mean the ego and accountability because you're all about crazy self-ownership i mean to to a degree where everything is on you and then there's freedom in that which i love now if you're a manager and you're trying to drive accountability amongst your team are you doing that with 10 people in a room or is it a one-on-one uh type of engagement
1: accountability comes uh, best one-on-one because it's so um you're really moving people into better mental processes and you're moving them into self-reflection. And I can't really hold you accountable, but I can foster in you mental processes that will take you from ego into accountability. And I think that's the biggest misconception is a lot of leaders hold people accountable and they get together a big group and they're like, everybody, you're missing deadlines. And and so all the high accountables are like racking their brain. They're like missing deadlines. Like, I haven't missed a deadline since I went into early labor. You know, it's like the Loa cannibals are like, I hope y'all are listening. Um, group coaching really doesn't work well. Group status updates work fine, but group coaching really doesn't work well. It's one-on-one.
2: Got it. And, and so you mentioned... You know, in terms of management I think a lot of the listeners are in a management role you know you don't necessarily manage people you manage energy um, and I think that's that's obviously done through that one-on-one spectrum that you're seeing so how would you go about an accountability driver in terms of all right you see someone on your team is is struggling maybe they're complaining a lot um, is there a way that you work with them in terms of like tracking daily accountability, like saying, all right, let's set some goals or let's keep a journal or anything really tactical like that you work with people on?
1: You know, we, in my first book, Reality-Based Leadership, I give you like a placemat and some other ways to work tactical. But I will tell you that any tactical thing you put in place, if the ego is out to play, will not work. People will not use it. They will make every excuse in the book. They will misuse it because any tool we give people without the proper mindset, without the ego being bypassed, um, will just be used for evil, not good. And so what I would do first is to help people um, understand their mental processes. So, um, and, and we have tools for the group as well. I don't want to say that, that we don't. So for instance, in the group tools, when you know, I'm working with people, I call it the accounting for exercise. And they're telling me that the reason they didn't get it done was, you know, the business enablement team or senior leadership, or, you know, the reason our status report looks so bad. I'll say, what happened? Why didn't we do deliver on what we promised? And I'll say, well, you know, this team didn't do it. This team didn't do it. And I'll say, you guys, everybody take five minutes of silence and start your sentences with the word. I assumed I denied. I did. I didn't any of those and start again. And it's like, um, I didn't have regular check-ins with the business enablement team. I didn't run, you know, a good uh, project management methodology with these folks. I, you know, whatever it is, I want you to know, what your part was, because that's where the freedom is. The truth will set you free. The highest form of accountability is to the truth. And I want you to know what your part was, because that gives you accountability is the ability to account for you got here and that gives you responsibly the ability to respond differently in the future and if you can't own it you can't change it and you are just going to be a victim of your circumstances so that totally sets you free and and i have some group ways to do that um another group technique and i'll get in the individuals is is when people are telling me what they want different in their workplace, I'm like, great, let's put it up there, make a list. How do you want your workplace to be? You know, we want better communication. We want more transparency. We want, you know, they just put the list up there. And most people who are low in accountability expect me as their manager to take the list and go work on it or go bend reality. But I can't bend reality. So I say the second list, I say, what are you willing to do to get that? And most of the time, that stays blank for a little bit. People are like, what are you talking about? I want my reality different. I'm like, yep, what are you willing to do to get that? Are you willing to be transparent? Are you willing to, you know, what are you willing to do? And then the third list is what can I do as a leader? But most leaders ask me, how do I hold people accountable? I tell them you can't, but you can stop enabling them. And enablement comes when um, people are doing uh, pretending that reality is different for folks and that's where the enablement comes from and so it, it's helping people understand that they have a direct link to their own results and success and most of us enable folks out of that so those are some group things um i individually you've got to get people out of their story because if they have a tool to use to hold them accountable That tool will not have a lot on it that will really have impact because most people don't understand where they can have impact because their ego, the thing they're believing, is telling them that they're victims and that they're helpless. So the first thing I've got to do as a leader, we have a tool called Edit Your Story. And the reason we use tools, by the way, is that they bypass the ego, get you out of ego and into self-reflection. And so that's why we're really big on tools. But a tool is if you come to me and you're telling me that, um, you know, you worked with a group and they basically were not attentive in training and they just they shredded the training and they hit you up in the evals and they were you know, really disrespectful and, you know, you're just very upset about this. It's I'm collecting the facts so that you can see where the venting ends and the facts begin. And the facts are. I gave a training, it wasn't well received, according to the feedback, and now I vent. I mean, and I'll say, you know, if you give a training, it wasn't well received, venting is not gonna help this situation, what will? The facts aren't that the group was, you know, a horrendous group of people, the facts were that what you gave in your training wasn't all that valuable to, or the format wasn't valuable, or that's where you find the freedom, is stop blaming the group, edit your story, which means taking out all the assignment of motives and judgment and and find the truth. I worked today, did the training, it didn't go well. And it's from that truth, you can say, what can I do next to add value? And that's where the leaders really have to get in there and help people edit their stories. Then the tracking mechanism works once you're out of ego.
0: I love that because it's so refreshing to take all that negative emotional thoughts all those all that judgment out of your out of your mental space and just get down to the truth of how can i can how can i improve and move forward so it's very refreshing now now say i'm going to mention the four-letter word millennials right tom and i are millennials <laughs> um, my whole
1: staff is millennials i love them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now most of our listeners are millennials and for those of you who aren't you know, we still love you but <laughs> let's say <laughs> let's say um there's a millennial worker and their boss happens not to be a millennial, right? Now, are there any noticeable differences that you've seen working with the clients that you work with for managers who are who are not millennials working with millennials? Anything that you've seen that can help our listeners maybe manage up or even help our manager listeners manage down?
1: So... If if you listen to any of my stuff, you know that I think the whole blaming millennials or setting millennials, you know, aside is a bunch of BS. Um, Every one of us came into this workforce uh, in need of some coaching. And what I think a lot of leaders my age, I'm 52, have done is they've stepped down and not adapted their processes to bring out the best in everyone in the workforce. And then they blame the millennials Um, and so millennials to me just are an issue. This, what I talk about isn't an age condition. It's an ego condition. It's a, a human condition. And no matter what your age, you've got this ego going on. So you've got to manage it. Um, what, what I talk about for millennials, if you're managing up is, um, to really bypass any stereotypic comment made about the fact like, oh, you're a millennial, you just want to rock climb or you don't you don't want to work very <laughs> hard or you know, all of that stuff can really hook our own ego and we can just be, you know, pardon the French, but F you. I mean, it can be like so what I do is it's like, um I when I coach a lot of millennials and my whole staff is millennials, is I talk to them about for your leaders, you got to stop judging and start helping. And so it's easy to judge when you see a leader that maybe is um, set in some ways that are less effective than what you could see um, on how to do it differently. Or maybe they're lower skilled in technology and you can see some quick fixes. The first thing I do is stop judging them for where they're at and start helping. And so um, I had one millennial... And she told me that um, her boss was a micromanager. And I said, you know, stop labeling him that. What would you like in this situation? And she said, I would like more freedom to just have the space I need to deliver what he asked me to deliver. I said, great. I said, um, why don't you go in and ask him what are three things you could do to um, have him feel more trusting of your work? And that was shocking because she wanted to go in there and tell him that he was a micromanager and tell him that she needed more freedom and really confront him. And I said, you know, that's going to ignite the ego. She went in and she said, I really want you to trust my work and I want you to see me as a um, really solid independent player. So please tell me what are three things I could do in order for you to feel more trusting in my work. And when she dropped her judgment, she got really good feedback. He said, "Um, when I call you and can't find you, that makes me nervous. Now, she went into a tirade on, oh, my God, we should be tied to our offices and we shouldn't have to always be visible and work doesn't get done that way. I said, how's that working for you? Is that helping to... You know, just see your manager's outdated. She said, No. I said, So what can you put in place that when this guy calls you, you're available? And she she actually looked inside and found out that she actually avoided his calls because she wanted to deal with them. And so even if she was on site or at home or whatever, she would usually make him wait on average of an hour before she called him back. Well, that's her accountability. And so she just surrendered. She's like, fine, I'll be on call 24 hours for this guy. And I said, I would drop the judgment. If a client calls me, I am back to them as quick as I can, because that is the person I'm serving. And it changed her mindset. And he gave her some other feedback. And so I think for millennials trying to manage up, stop judging again and, and start helping go in there and find out what tell what you want the outcome to be and then ask people, how can I? You know, help you give that to me. How can I be helpful? Um, and you Yeah, know- not, not sorry,
2: not to cut you off, but I think that's just a great theme too, and that's something that we heard from a previous guest, Dave Matson, on managing up and uh, just having that frank conversation with your boss and saying, um, you know, Dave talked about this with with some of his kids and said, hey, I, I don't like my boss, I'm going to leave the company, and and he essentially said, hey, shame on you for not exploring that further with them and saying, hey, uh, you know. Mrs. Boss, Mr. Boss, you know, I like how you do X, Y, Z, but what would really help me is if you held me more accountable or if you did this or if you did that, that would help me because that's how I'm going to grow. And just having those types of frank conversations um, because you're all working towards the same goal. And so sorry to cut you off, but no I think that, that was really powerful.
1: And and thanks for that tie in. And, and I'm probably talking too much. I get really excited about this because like I said, my whole team is millennials you know, millennials are in their thirties now. Some of my millennials have like babies and families and, you know, and some don't, but it's like, I want people to move away. Age is just another excuse. The ego has tied onto and too many public speakers are out there talking about how different this generation is. This generation has the same, um, they're humans. They have egos. You still need to uh, work in the same ways. Um, and so I think that's important. Now, for leaders out there who are managing millennials, um, they are your competitive advantage, and so are the next gens and the the you know the digital um, you know kids coming up. For me, my whole business, the success of my business, is built on listening to people younger than me, because what happens is science will create something, millennials will adopt it businesses catch up to it and then government regulates it. So if I want to be on the cutting edge, I've got to really watch and listen closely to my millennials and get out of this like I have some business wisdom because I only know what went before. I don't know what went next. So I'll never forget one night I my son, I have eight sons, so it's easy for me to keep up. They got this little hoverboard and I have a glass of wine in my hand. And if you can imagine this gray haired lady, I'm learning to ride this hoverboard in my basement. So I'm going back and <laughs> forth on the hoverboard. Of course, I got a glass of wine in my hand. And one of my millennials is over for the evening and he goes, Sai, you got to see Gary V. He's amazing. So he shows me a Gary V video and he's like, we need to be doing vlogs and all kinds of stuff. I'm like, get a videographer. Let's do it. We end up, Just being on the Gary Vee show a couple of weeks ago, we use Vayner Talent to do all of our social media, all of our blogs. We don't have a sales force. We believe that if you're going to be distracted at work, we want to be your distraction. So we don't tell people to put their smartphones away. We tell them to get them out and watch everything you can on our YouTube channel and at Cy Wakeman on IG and Snapchat and LinkedIn and Facebook. And and we just got a Facebook watch show that we're going to be one of the beta shows because I don't know anything about business anymore, but what I do know is I've got an incredibly diverse young staff, and I just watch where their eyeballs go. I watch what how they spend their time, and instead of hating on it, I go for it because they're telling me where my next um, customers are. Right now, my next customers are all these wonderful millennial managers out there who want a way to ditch the drama at work.
0: This is exciting for us because we're obviously huge Gary Vee fan well, not obviously, but we're huge <laughs> Gary V fans. We're huge fans of yours. And I love how you reframe the millennial piece to say this is a this is an asset for the firm. Absolutely. And we're gonna use it. So this is awesome. I know we're at the bottom of the hour here. Do you have time for a few questions from the audience side? Absolutely. Great. So let's let's kick things off here and, and I love this one. You know, one of the questions was have you ever had a major misstep? In your career and your personal life and how did you overcome that
1: oh my gosh one major a ton what I want people to know is like you're gonna make mistakes and you know if you aren't you're not living close enough to the edge like you need to get out there Um, most of my missteps I'm trying to think of a a major one but most of my missteps have been my ego I either get righteous and I quit learning because when you get righteous you believe you're right about everything And when you're right about everything, you don't need to learn anything. And so then you're just chronically disappointed in the world. And so there are some things where like my boss was telling me, I was really a maverick when I was younger. My boss was telling me some things and I just, you know, judged him. He's an idiot he doesn't know what's happening. (laughs) And um, I didn't do well for a couple of years and I missed out on a young stars program and I kept going in there and I'm like, I cannot believe I'm not in this program. And I think it's a gender issue and it's about female equality. And my boss said, it's not, it's about your righteousness and you don't take feedback. And I'm like, Whoa, you know? So the other one has been dishonesty. I have screwed up with clients where I've told them, Oh, I got, you know, I sent that to you. It must've gotten lost. You know, must be in your junk file and stuff. Anytime that my ego kept me from owning up to just simple, you know what? Um, I had every intention of doing that. It fell off my radar. How can I make it up to you? Because, um, I really think that we need to get really okay with being vulnerable. And I have found that every time I do that, people can relate. Um, and, and, I'll give you an example. My boss called me one day and he said, how's, how are you coming on project X? And, um, you know, the truth was I was behind and, I told him I was behind and he said, I've noticed you're behind on a lot of stuff. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I am behind on a lot of stuff. We all are. And he was like, well, can you put that back on priority? We need to get it back in good shape in the next couple of days. If I had just sat there and gone, dang, good to know, great information, good call. You know, thanks for calling me up and get me back on track. I couldn't leave it. I went out and I told everybody, like my boss is micromanager. He treats me like a child. He's going to cancel my project. He's dialing for dollars. I mean, I just really talked poorly about him just because I couldn't deal with the fact that he called with the truth. He called and said, you know, as far behind I was, he asked me to just clean it up. So I created this whole story about how I hate my boss. Then I quit my job because he's a micromanager. And in the exit interview, they said, why are you quitting? I said, because my boss is so bad. And I didn't see that until Gallup came out with this poll and they go, um, they said, you know, 70 some percent of people quit their jobs because they're bosses. And that's when I knew that was BS. I'm like, no, I quit my job and blamed my boss. And most of us step down from our lessons, quit our jobs because this job market's so easy, and we blame our boss and that's great. You can go anywhere you want, but if you don't learn that lesson, you have to relearn it again and again and again and It took me about three bosses before I figured out the problem wasn't my boss, the problem was my ego wow
2: that's that's great and I mean it, it you know a, a theme that we hear a lot is you have to run into you know some of those closed doors to find the right open door um and so i think it's it's empowering to hear hey even someone you know like yourself has had some of those mistakes there in your career and and you've learned to overcome them and and you know find rewards from them you know one thing before we we head off here that has been a a huge question asked from the audience is um you know from aspiring women leaders uh from from someone like yourself any tips that you have for uh women really of any age that are aspiring leaders um and that want to really make an impact
1: you know i love that um question and um you know i have so much but w- the first thing i would i would tell you is Many times the advice you get as an aspiring female is to be something other than yourself. It's like be more male-like or be more assertive or be more this or be more that. And if it doesn't fit for you, do not be that. If it's good feedback where you could morph into that and be authentic, then go for it. But a lot of people um, would tell me, you know, be more at the time I was coming into it, male like, and I'm like, well what the world needs now is, you know, some good gender balance and mm. and none of us are male or female. I mean, we're also intersexual intersectional today that I would um tell you that quit hoping for someone to empower you and step into the power you already have. Because a lot of women tell me, it's like, well, I need a sponsor. I need a mentor. I need to be empowered. And I'm like, empowerment doesn't come from outside of you. It You can step into the power you have. And the one thing I wish women did more of is ask directly for help, um, not because you're helpless, but ask for what you want. I'm in my fifties now. And for the first time ever, I asked people to help me promote this book by reaching out to get on people's podcasts. And, and I'd never asked for that before because I was just like, well, I'm not going to ride here on the backs of others. I'm like, and so ask people for help and do it directly. That's, you know, stepping into the power you have is if I need something, um, go find somebody who knows how to do that. Crowdsource it, ask them how to do it, ask them if they would, you know, help advocate for you or teach you, or because I think that women um, do a lot of things on our own and not to stereotype, but it's in the research. And men tend to be willing to ask for help more often. And it's funny because we say guys don't ask for directions, but they really do put it out there. They're like, hey, if they're with another guy, they're like, hey, do you know somebody and can you introduce me? Women hardly ever do that. And I um, want, young women just to start using their resources i am rarely asked to um, help people and i often have to offer it and i'm thinking i'm standing right in front of you i'm a great resource Um, why don't you ask for what you need so that would probably be my best advice
2: that's great and it speaks to the, the piece from earlier about how you need to be vulnerable and i think a lot of times people are just afraid and they make the assumption in their head like um, oh, that person is is so busy, or they're so powerful, or they're they're so this or that that they wouldn't help someone like me, or they don't want to take their time when really people are are
1: more willing to help than than you'd think. Well, um, so I think part that's part of what feeds us. They are willing to help as part of what feeds us. It's like I can go make a great sale today, or I can help somebody else make a great sale, and guess what? I feel better about the latter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: That's great, um, and so we're we're going to uh let you run. you've been really generous with your time but 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 before we do um, want to give a quick plug i know we've we've mentioned it. Um bit here and there uh, around your new book, No Ego, and also your firm, Reality-Based Leadership. Um, you know, we really encourage the listeners to check out both of those. And, and I know you have a few books that you've released in your past as well as, as a New York Times bestseller. Um, but you know, any, any thoughts from the book or um, you know, also where can we find you on social media?
1: Um, That's in the book. We've gone over a lot of the stuff on No Ego. I would recommend if you're leading out there, another great book for you is Reality-Based Leadership. It's really my basics. Most of what we're teaching and using in leadership today ignites the ego rather than bypasses it. So I give you great techniques on how to do that differently. But um, you can check out my podcast as well. Um, It's called No Ego. And follow us on social media. Everything at Cy Wakeman or at Reality Based Leadership, and we will keep you fed. We give lots of great video content. We have a YouTube channel, backslash Cy Wakeman. Um, subscribe to that. Just really jump on all these pieces, and we will get you set up and fed on a daily basis.
0: Powerful Cy Wakeman. This has been awesome. Really appreciate your time, folks. will put links to the to the books. To the podcast to the website in the show notes and and Cy, you know tom and i just want to thank you again this has been awesome thank you very much and we hope to have you on again
1: awesome i would love to be back let me know
0: thank All right. you. Thanks, you
1: wise words from
2: my good friend Sai wakeman man that was a good one we hope you guys appreciated that uh we're gonna be taking some of those notes she gave us into the field ego accountability man that was awesome um, so we we could not stress enough to check Cy Wakeman out, check out her books, plural. There's a new one, No Ego, but she's also has several others that uh, are on the New York Times bestseller list. She's got a great podcast called No Ego. You can check out her firm, Reality Based Leadership. She is dynamic. She's incredible. Um, the more you listen to her, the better it gets. Trust me on that. So please check her out. Show her some love, guys. Um, but while you're at it, why don't you pivot that? Show us some love. Show TR talk some love. Please, um, you know, share, like, comment if you saw any value here. Um, you know, what the the air to our lungs is an iTunes review and, and subscription. Um, trust me, we have. If you thought Sai was good, we've got some more great guests down the pike here. Uh, we're fired up about it. We're ready to show it off, and um, you know, tell us what we're doing good and bad. We love to hear the feedback. Uh, we got another one coming soon. But for now, out.